Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. We're going to read two of the accounts of this event in two different Gospels. And the first one is in Matthew chapter 20, starting with verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him, kneeling down and asking him, asking something from him. He's talking about Jesus. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you asked. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Turn over to Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, we have the account, the same account, with a little different information in that. And that's typical of the Gospels. You take all the what the Gospels say to find out what is uh, what is going on in a certain situation. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, what do you want? Um, Excuse me. We want you to do for us whatever we asked. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on the left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you asked. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, We are able. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, it's not mine to give, but it's for those to whom it is prepared. So as we look at these two accounts, we have Jesus, one account, the mother of James and John comes to Jesus, and the other account, James and John. So we put that together, we realize that they all came to Jesus, asking Jesus this question. They wanted to sit on his right hand, on his left hand, in his kingdom or in, in his glory. But yet Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. And he says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said, yes. For some reason, the disciples did not understand or did not grasp what Jesus had been telling them. Four times now, Jesus had told his apostles that he was going to go to to Jerusalem and suffer and die in Jerusalem. But somehow they didn't quite understand that. Matthew 16, after Peter made that good confession of the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus told them then that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer. And Peter said, no, no, no. And Jesus had to rebuke Peter because of this. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus told them the same things. And here in Matthew 20, right before this, 
is written, we find that Jesus tells him again that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer. And the mother came, the mother in James and John came to make this request. And obviously this caused some dissension between the other apostles. They were upset about them asking. It's a bold request, isn't it? It's a bold request. They're seeing Jesus as a king and they're saying, I want to sit on your right hand and I want to sit on your left hand. Now, well, what would that mean? Being on the right hand of a king and left hand of a king is a place of authority, a place of prominence, a place where a glory that you would be glorified sitting next to the king. But yet Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for. And he speaks of the cup that he's about to drink and the baptism that he's about to be baptized with. And both of these, of course, said that they could drink that cup. As we look at the story from this side of the cross, we understand what was going on. We understand, although they didn't understand, we understand that Jesus was going to suffer greatly in the next few days, few weeks. Over when he went to Jerusalem, he was going to suffer a great deal, even to the point of dying on the cross. And I, as I'm preparing this lesson, I, I thought, well, we all know about the sufferings of Jesus, so there's no need to go over that. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, this is why we're here, isn't it? Because what Jesus went through, because what Jesus was willing to do for us, that's why we're here. So it's, it's proper that we stop for a moment and think about what Jesus went through. Jesus was betrayed by one of his own apostles, sold for 30 pieces of silver. When he was arrested, his disciples fled from him. He was left alone. That night that he was arrested, Peter, the boldness of Peter, denied Jesus three times. Denied that he knew him. He was given a mock trial. He was spat upon. He was ridiculed. He was lied about. He was made fun of. He was slapped. You know what? This was his own people that did this. His own people. The Jewish people. The people he came to save. They did this to him. And then they turned him over to the Romans to be crucified. And he was tried by the Romans. And while the Romans had him, they beat him. They mocked him. They put a, a purple robe around him and pretended to bow down and worship him. They spat upon him. 
They made a crown of thorns and put them on his head. Now, as you can see, I don't have any hair hardly up here. When something hits my head, especially something sharp, it dealt very little there to protect me. And it bleeds. And you think about a crown of thorns being placed on his head. And I'm sure it wasn't placed on gently. The pain that he was going through. He was given a reed, and they took that reed and they hit him with it. They stripped him and they scourged him. That was said quickly, wasn't it? They scourged him. That wasn't something done quickly. That was something horrible. They condemned him, although they did not find any wrong in him. They paraded him through the streets while he carried his own cross until he was not able to carry the cross. They cast lots for his clothes, and they nailed him to a cross. And even while he was on the cross, they made fun of him, and they mocked him. And yet he was able to say, forgive them. Do you think James and John had any idea this is what they were asking for? Do you think the mother of James and John had any idea that this is what they were, she was asking for her sons? I'm sure they did not. But even Jesus did not want to go through this suffering. In Matthew chapter 26, if you'll turn over to Matthew chapter 26. In verse 38, Jesus said, my soul, is my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So he went a little farther and fell on his face, and he prayed, Oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Three times Jesus prayed. Three times. Look in Luke's account. In Luke 22. In verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as, his, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed and saying, Father, if this is your will, let this cup, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and began 
to, in, in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became as great drops of blood falling on the ground. Jesus did not want to go through this cup, but he did. So the question that maybe we should ask right now is, can we go through this cup? Can his disciples go through this cup and take partake of this cup? And the answer is yes, and the answer is no. Because it was only Jesus that could die on the cross a sinless, spotless Lamb of God that died on the cross for our sins. We see that in Isaiah. We know Isaiah 53. What did he do? It was our sins that caused his grief. It was our sins that caused his stripes. It was our sins that caused his death. God laid all that on Jesus. Yes, Jesus had to drink this cup. We can't do that. We could not save ourselves, neither could his apostles or his disciples. We cannot do that. But yet, Jesus said, you will drink this cup. Speaking to James and John, and really to all the apostles. There's a... There's a way that each and every one of us drink this cup of suffering. And another way, we probably drink this cup every day. And sometimes we don't even know it. Think about what Jesus told his disciples. In, John, in Matthew chapter 23, he says, Indeed, you will drink this cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. In John 15, John 15, verse 27, John 15, verse 27, And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, that you may not, be, that you may not stumble. Or why would they stumble? It says in verse 2 of chapter 16, They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming when whoever kills you will think they are offered God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that, you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And Jesus speaking specifically to Peter in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse 18. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Verse 19, he says, this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. John 15, 
John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, and the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the words that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep your words also. Matthew 10. Matthew 10. These are all words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will be brought before governors and kings for the sake, for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Also in Matthew 10, verse 21. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Of course, this is exactly what happened to the apostles. As we read in the Gospels, we really only know, getting a little ahead of myself, but we really only know what happened to two of them as far as their deaths. And Judas hung himself in remorse for betraying Jesus. And James was beheaded by Herod. The other disciples suffered greatly. In Acts 4, they were, they, they were brought before the Sanhedrin, but they spoke out boldly about Jesus. And they were arrested. And in Acts 5, chapter 5, they were arrested and imprisoned. And they were beaten. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen was stoned for preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 8, there was a great persecution that arose. Verse, verse 1 tells us that in that great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 3, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. These are just ordinary people. And they're being drug out of their houses and cast into prison. We find out later, but many of these people were killed. And as we see the persecution that Jesus said would happen, we see it happening. Acts chapter 12, they killed James, the very one that asked to be sitting on either the right or left hand. James was killed. This Saul who became Paul, a great 
preacher of the gospel, a minister, an apostle of the gospel. As he preached and as he went from city to city, he was persecuted. And we find in 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about this persecution, the things that happened to him while he was preaching, while he was teaching God's word. Verse 24 says, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys, often in perils of water and of robbers and of my own countrymen. And in the wilderness and in the sea and among false brethren. In weariness and toil and in sleeplessness. In hunger and thirst and fasting and cold and nakedness, besides all, besides other things, what came upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So here is this great persecution against God's people. So we look at. We look at this and we see what happened to the apostles. Like I said, we really only know what happened to two. We have some indication in history of what happened to some of the others, but a lot of it is just not certain. And a lot of it is tradition. But I'd like to just to go over what some of the things that we think we know. We think we know Peter was beheaded in Rome. Paul was crucified upside down in Rome. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was pierced through with spears. Philip was cruelly put to death. Didn't say how, just cruelly put to death. Matthew was stabbed to death. Bartholomew, there's various accounts of him being martyred, but it doesn't say exactly how. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned with, and then beaten with clubs until dead. Simon the Zealot killed for not sacrificing to the sun god. Mattias, who took Jesus' place, was burned to death. And John, who is believed the only one to live until a natural death. It said while he was in Rome, he was cast into a boiling oil, but somehow escaped. If that's true, who saved him? It would have been God. All these suffered greatly for the name of Christ. So how did Jesus teach these young, these people? How did he teach these 12 men and others that followed him, the disciples, that they could go through all this persecution and, and be faithful and stay faithful to God? Well, I wrote down a few things. That came to mind. 
And the first thing that came to mind was something that Bob came up with a few, um, it's been several, several months ago, but I never thought of before. But you know, when Jesus was young and young of age, his parents were faithful. When the angel came to, to Mary and said, your name, is, your name isn't Jesus, what did she do? She named him Jesus. On the eighth day, when it came to the time to be circumcised, what did his parents do? They followed the law of Moses. It's the law they lived under. The day of purification, what did they do? They went to the temple and offered sacrifices just as the law of Moses said. They went to the feast. They del- the feast that were in Jerusalem, as the law of Moses had directed them. What does that tell us as parents? If we want to raise our children to be able to stand the temptations of this world, to stand against the persecutions, stand against the gossip, stand against the name-calling and everything else that goes along with being a Christian, where are we going to start? Hopefully we're going to start early. Don't wait till they get 17 years old and decide, oh, yeah, I need to teach them now. Teach them when they're early. Wasn't it Jesus was 12 when he was in the temple teaching the men in the temple? 12 years old. He already knew the word. And you might, oh, it's Jesus. He's the son of God. Yes, but his training started early. He knew God's word. He knew God's Word. Does that tell us something? We need to know God's Word. Jesus used God's Word to battle the temptations in Matthew chapter 4. He was tempted 40 days. And all that time, what did He use? To defend against temptation, He used God's Word. Jesus knew the power of prayer. He often prayed. Mark 1, verse 35, And in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. In Matthew 6, he was teaching his apostles how to pray. In Matthew 11, he's thanking God in a prayer, and he mentions that even so, Father, for so it seems good in your sight. What is he saying? I'm praying to you, Father, I'm asking for this, but the same as when he was praying in the garden. Your will be done. God, you know best. Your will be done. Does that sound like our prayers? Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. 
Now, when he came evening, he was alone there. He went up by himself to pray. Luke 6, and this is, I think this may be impressed me more than anything. It came about in those days that he went up to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. Now, I'll be honest with you. I can't, I can't pray all night. I run out of things to say. Matter of fact, I can't even talk on the telephone very long. Because once I've said what I've had to say, I'm done. Jesus prayed all night. All night. And who can forget that prayer he prayed in John 17, before his, before his death? You know he was in agony. He knew he knew what was going to happen to him. You know he was distressed. And he prays in John 17, verse 5, excuse me, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that I, which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. In that same prayer, he prays for his disciples. In that same prayer, he prays for all the people who would believe on him through his, their words. So who is Jesus praying for? He's praying for us. We who believe. We who believe. So if we look at Jesus as an example, how to withstand persecution and suffering and the things that we go through in life, remember God's Word. Remember they, they're powerful. They can do great things. Remember the power of prayer. You notice as we went through all this, Jesus didn't take away the suffering of Jesus. Jesus didn't take away the suffering of the apostles. We go through suffering, don't we? In many ways. But Jesus gave us the trust that he trusted God to do what God said he would do. Everything is not about this life. It's about the life to come. That's what Jesus was looking forward to. Glorify me as, with the glory I had in the beginning. He's looking forward to going home. The New Testament is filled with scriptures about disciples suffering or being persecuted. And I... I I just wrote down a, a lot of them. 
And I'm not going to read all of them, but I just want to mention some of them here. Matthew 10, 22. You'll be hated by all because of my name. But the one who has endured to the end will be saved. It's a promise. It's a condition with a promise. You're going to be hated, but if you endure to the end, you're going to be saved. Matthew 10, 17. But be aware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. Matthew 23. I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. These are all just verses about suffering and persecution. Matthew 24. And they will deliver you to tribulations and will kill you, and you will be hated for all, by all nations because of my name. Luke 21. You be betrayed by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and they will hate you'll be hated by all because of my name. Matthew, excuse me, Acts 14. They went, Paul went through strengthening the disciples, saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And of course, we're familiar with 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's an important verse. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 John 3.13. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Revelation 2, verse 10. Do not fear what is about to, you're about to suffer, because the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, and so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. Speaking of the apostles, Paul said in the Romans 8, verse 36, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. We already talked about Matthew 5 where they were cast in the prison. They were flogged. Verse 40. We already talked about how uh, Peter was beaten five times with stripes. He was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day he spent in the deep. Second Corinthians 11, starting with verse 23. These were done because they loved God and they loved the word of Christ. Do not be surprised when that in First Peter four verse four. But in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excess of dispensation, and they malign you. 
or they speak evil of you. In Hebrews 10, it talks about that as we suffer, we can become partakers with those that suffer and we can share with them and sympathize with them because we suffer. Even though they joyfully accepted the seizure of their property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. Again, it's not about this life, is it? It's about what's coming up. What God has promised. The inheritance God has promised us. And it, the list goes on and on. And if you think about it, there's so many scriptures in the New Testament about suffering, about persecution, about conflict. Why did we have so many verses? Why do we have so many verses in the, in the New Testament about that? You know, we talk a lot of times about if you look in a, a book and uh, say Galatians and there's a certain word and that word's used a lot of times. It's an important word, isn't it? Here we have the whole New Testament. And over and over and over again, it talks about persecution and suffering. What is that telling us? What does that tell us today? It tells us to be ready, doesn't it? Be ready. Because all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's interesting. I'm, I'm going to quit using, reading the verses now about that. But I want to go to something. It's really in, in Hebrews. you got Hebrews 11 and, and you got all those people of faith. And you read that and you just can't help but be impressed with all the things they went through. You know, they're talking about they were sewn in two and they were burned. And it's just all these things that what happened to them. But what was his conclusion? The writer of Hebrews, what was his conclusion? We find it in chapter 12 and verse 1. His conclusion is therefore, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, because of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest ye become weary and discouraged in your soul. You have not resisted to bloodshed by striving against sin. We haven't, we haven't had bloodshed, have we? Because we follow the teachings of Jesus. But we have all these witnesses, all these people who have gone through all this suffering and they have been killed and there's things that they have done and 
because they stand up and preach the gospel and they stand up and say, no, well, that's wrong. They stand up and they won't bow down to the, the, the desires of the world. They're persecuted. Their possessions are taken away. We can even read in history where their children were taken away. And all that, all that, we have their witness that it's worth it. Living the life of Christ for the joy set before Him. Christ knew what was coming. Let's not become weary or discouraged. It's interesting to me what they thought of all these people going through this suffering, what they thought about the suffering. And we, we, can, we can see ver- verses that indicate that. Again, not going to read all the verses. 1 Thessalonians 2, 2 talks about we had boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel amidst much opposition. Because they were opposed, they had boldness. Jesus in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who persecute for the righteous, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. And he goes on and on. In Luke 6, you're blessed. In Acts 5, they rejoiced. In 1 Peter 2, they, they, their conscience bears them up through their suffering. And it goes on and on. And there's verse after verse about how they felt about their suffering and how they were able to withstand that. And they were able to share with others who were going through it because they'd been through it. So as we come to the close of the end of our lesson, we remember those that were killed because of the word of Christ. Revelation 6. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar... All the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them and was and said to them that they should rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was complete. So the time of reckoning will come one day. It's interesting, very briefly, it's interesting the difference between how God, how the people of God looked at uh, suffering and persecution in the Old Testament. It was almost like an eye for an eye, wasn't it? That's what Jesus said. You've heard that is eye for eye. But now we don't look at it that way. Jesus has taught us to love our enemies, to do good to those that persecute you. So as we draw our lesson to our close, 
what lessons how can we learn from all this? And maybe the best lesson of all is that these people trusted in God. They didn't trust in their own powers. They trusted in God. Through His Word, through the power of prayer, they rejoiced at their own persecution, at their own sufferings, because they considered it, they were worthy to be suffering because of Christ. We suffer in different ways now. There are places in the world that, yes, probably will be killed if you live the Christ. But we suffer in different ways. Perhaps we won't get the job promotion in it because we stand a certain way. Perhaps we get talked about behind our back. Perhaps we're, we, we get called names, and we do get called names. Minor things in it compared to what these people went through. So no matter what we go through in suffering for the name of Christ in in this life, it doesn't compare to what these people went through. We should have boldness. We should have strength. We should have trust in God that He will provide us. I'd like to close with one verse. Philippians 4, actually a couple of verses. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Let's remember when we suffer to make our requests known to God and praise Him for all that happens. Thank you.